Well, it's good again, brethren, to have our Bibles in our hands as we say every week. Good to be together, amen. Good to be, uh, as, as, the, as the Lord calls us out, amen, the ecclesia to come out and be separate from amongst the world and come together and uh, hear God's word preached and to, uh, to hear God's word and Lord willing, as Dean has just prayed, that the Spirit of God would indeed take that word and sink it deep down into our hearts and our minds. And uh, of course, we are, as, as uh, Dean had prayed, we have come to the end of the glorious book of Acts, that which we see and we have looked at and we've seen and heard and we pray that we've understood the true and indeed inspired history of, of God's beginning church, amen? And it's such an amazing thing when you consider all of the things that we've seen. I, I said just a couple weeks ago that it, it seems like we're saying almost goodbye to an old friend because we've been here for three years for visitors this morning. We've been in the book of Acts for near three years and uh, over a hundred sermons later and, and here we are. The Lord in his graciousness and his kindness to us has indeed brought us to, if you will, the, the appointed time, the appointed place in the classroom of Christ where we do indeed find ourselves wrapped up and uh, swaddled, if you will, in the final words that the Holy Ghost gave Luke to write concerning the book of Acts. And just by way of remembrance, I want just to remind us, the book of Acts, what does the word Acts mean, amen, as we uh, come bring this to a close? It means to exert power. This is what it means, amen. And so, boy, we've seen this all through the book of Acts. We've seen that God acted, amen. God, indeed, as we looked in the first chapter, God deemed and he said that I'm going to have the gospel is going to go, it's going to start here, and it's going to spread all across the world to the uttermost parts of the world. And, brethren, as we get to the end here of the book of Acts, we see God fulfilling his promise. God, indeed, did act. In fact, brethren, the Holy Ghost acted. We've, again, seen this throughout this book. It's an amazing thing as the Holy Ghost acted, as he exerted his divine power, if you will, by authenticating God's preachers. And again, brethren, this is the key to it all, the working of the Holy Ghost. If we're here this morning and the Holy Ghost is not working, if he's not taking the word that we're hearing and that we're preaching this morning and sticking it deep down into our hearts and our minds, we might as well be preaching to the wall, brethren. The Holy Ghost must indeed cause within us, within our hearts, within our minds, within our understanding, the glorious works, the glorious acts that we have certainly seen. In fact, look at Acts chapter 4. We're just going to see this. The Holy Ghost acting. He acted upon many as the word of God was being preached. In fact, we saw him bring multitudes upon multitudes of brethren as the word of God was being preached as God promised in Acts chapter 1 that... You're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and there's going to be great power as you, as you go. And you see here again, Acts chapter 4, and again, this is just by way of remembrance, very quickly, look at verse number 1 there, if you would. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands upon them, put them in hold uh, unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word, what? Believed. And the number of the men was about 5,000. And so again, we have seen over and over again, earlier in Acts, amen, there was 3,000. And later on in Acts chapter 6, as he's preaching the word, the Holy Spirit would take that word down. And the Bible says they saved, that he saved multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes. Now, brother, not only did God act, not only did the Holy Spirit act, but we again see the faithfulness of the apostles and the faithful brethren, the converted men who acted. They faithfully, as we have seen over and over again, they faithfully, upon the threat of death, upon the threat of imprisonment, they faithfully preached the word of God over and over and over again. Again, the apostles acted, and we see this again, brethren, throughout this glorious book that God has chosen by his own merits to stick into the Bible. Now, this is so important for us this morning, brethren. Why is this so important? We see all of these things being acted out, if you will, God exerting his divine power upon the people in the book of Acts. Because, brethren, 
The residue of these acts, and again, I pray this morning, brethren, that we haven't gone through this just as some kind of a mental exercise, because it's much more than that. Because even to this very hour, the very things that we started almost three years ago, and we've seen work all through the book of Acts, the residue of that is still continuing to this very hour. It is as relevant today as tomorrow. Well, I used to say tomorrow's newspaper, but these young guys, are that as tomorrow's text. Amen. I mean, this is how important this is to us as we close this glorious portion of Scripture. The residue of these acts, indeed, the acts that we have read and heard and seen and certainly studied, continue this very hour. Now, brethren, that's so important to us because we are the church. Do you understand that? God used the church, the people. Amen? So often we confuse and maybe, well, Bible believers shouldn't, but the building here is not the church as we have discussed so many times. It is you if you're saved this morning. If you are saved this morning, we should indeed endeavor to act exactly like they did. Amen? That's why when we say, hey, we want to be a New Testament church, well, how do we know what a New Testament church did? How do we know how they acted? We go to the book of Acts and we see exactly how God designed the church. And then, of course, the other letters that we have. But we initially see here God working as he indeed exerts his divine power on his church today. And again, so needful and relevant as we look out amongst us, brethren, as we look out at our world, as we look out at our own nation itself, just how it's crumbling and completely falling to pieces. It's a stunning thing to behold. And yet, in the midst of it, God has placed you if you're saved. He's placed me if you're saved this morning, just like he did as we saw all again through the book of Acts. We are not living in nothing new, brethren. We are not. In fact, as we have seen, the Apostle Paul preached through in, in Ephesus. He preached at all these ungodly, worldly religions and things that were taking place, and he still continued faithfully to preach the Word of God. That's what we must do. Again, the residue. That's the only hope, brethren, that America has. Okay, The next president is not our hope. Amen? The next Congress is not our hope. The only hope we have is what we have here as we see the Apostle Paul as he brings this glorious letter to a close. We want to act, we want to be just like they were. It's a stunning and amazing thing. In fact, as we take up our text together this morning, let's look there at chapter 28. Look at verse number 21. Is Again, as we see the Holy Spirit by the pen of Luke as he's recording these closing verses for us this morning, look there if you would at verse number 21. Look what the Bible says. And they said unto him, We neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm unto thee. Now again, let us bring us to kind of remembrance here where we were last week. Verses 17, 18, and 19 that proceed, uh, obviously verse 21. We remember that Paul gave, if you will, his Reader's Digest condensed version of why he is a prisoner of Rome. Why he is a prisoner of Rome. And in verse 20, he faithfully conveyed to the Jewish leaders, amen, you remember, it is because of the hope of Israel. This is, again, we see the love of Paul for the Jewish people all the way to the end. In fact, to the very last verse, we see here Paul's continual love as he had for the people of Israel. As he's faithfully preaching and expounding the word of God to them. It's a stunning thing to consider. And of course... He is faithful, isn't he? He is preaching the hope of Israel, which, of course, was and still is today. Again, the residue of this continues on and on and on. It's a stunning thing. The very Lord's very own provision, his sinless Passover lamb, his chosen one, the risen Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we notice the Jewish leader's response in verse number 21, which is, again, most interesting to us, because they profess to know nothing about Paul. Isn't that a stunning thing? We know nothing. We haven't heard about you, Paul, in a letter. We haven't heard about you, Paul, by any of the brethren who have came to Rome. No one has said a word to us. It's an amazing thing, brethren. So it seems here, as we have seen, and again, those who haven't been with us, but all along the way, the Jews who hated Paul, who hated Christ, they were constantly trying to bring him to a death end. 
We remember this. And so now we see here again, he gets to Rome finally, as God promised that he would. And we see this here. It seems that Paul's Jewish adversaries, who had by the providential hand of God, failed at their unholy indictments again, over and over again. They've failed again. They failed. They failed. They were bringing indictments and charges against Paul. And they kept failing, if you will, before Felix, before Festus, before King Agrippa, before all of the audience that we've looked at and seen. Again, it appears here that they've given up. They understand that the Lord is clearly protecting him. However, the leaders here, brethren, again, clearly, as we see in the text, they certainly heard all about Christianity. And they wanted to know Paul's mind concerning this sect called Christianity. We haven't heard about Paul, which I think is quite strange, but Again, they've heard all about Christianity, and there's a reason and a purpose why they would have certainly heard about Christianity. Look at verse 22. Look what it says there. Again, it says here in verse 22, but we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. They want to know Paul's mind concerning this sect. It says, concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Now, brothers and sisters, the irony here must not be lost upon us. It cannot be lost upon us. Although these Jewish leaders had not received a letter in Rome concerning Paul, or about Paul, isn't it interesting that we remember that Paul himself had sent a letter to Rome? Isn't that amazing? We haven't heard about you, Paul, but Paul, four years earlier, you remember, had sent a letter to Rome. Well, this is taking place four years earlier. He had written to Rome, and I want you to see this again. They said, we've heard about this Christianity. We know all, well, we've heard so much about it. We know that it's spoken evil of. How would they have known? How would they have heard about this Christianity in Rome? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at Romans chapter 1. Just flip over there to the book of Romans, and we'll let the Bible again answer and speak to us concerning this matter. Look at verse number 7. Romans chapter 1, and again, this is four years before this is taking place here as we get towards the end of Paul's life. Look here at verse number 7. Look what he says. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout what? Throughout the whole world. So again here, we see here, four years earlier, Paul wrote a letter to the church, and he's thanking those faithful men and women, those who are in the church. He says, thank you for being faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ, because it is being spoken of all over the place. This is how these Jews, this is how they heard about this thing called Christianity, this sect, as they called it now for the sixth time in the book of Acts, this Nazarene sect, this thing called Christianity. Because Paul, amen, had written to the church that had been established there years earlier. So they clearly understood and wanted to hear, again, Paul, what his thoughts were concerning this. Paul, how do you think concerning this thing called Christianity? Now, turn back to Acts chapter 28. I want you to see here in 24, 25, 26, 27. We're going to kind of combine these together, if you will, this morning. Look what it says here. Verses 24, 25. 26 and 27. I just want to make sure. Nope. Uh, I'm sorry. I missed, I missed the page in my notes. We need to go at verse 20, 23. Acts 28. Look at verse 23. I knew I was out of order there. I don't want to miss this important portion of this piece of scripture. Look at verse number 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him unto his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. Listen, that's an important phrase that Paul uses there. Persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the what? Out of the prophets from morning until evening. Now, brethren, one of the first things we take from this verse is that Paul is definitely an anti-short sermon preaching kind of guy. Amen? We, he's, he's here from morning till midday, and we, we, we chuckle at it. But brethren, it's amazing. We've had people leave our fellowship because we preach too long. We want 20-minute sermons. We want 15-minute sermons. We don't want to hear all those big words. That's what it has come to in our nation, brethren. Paul was no part of that. In fact, you remember he was preaching earlier and a young man fell out of the window because he preached what? He preached so long. We think of Ezra when they found the law of God. This is an amazing thing, brethren. When, when one has in his heart a desire to hear the word of God and to be with the people of God, 
These things will not bother you. If the preacher stands up here from morning until evening and preaches, now that would be a task, wouldn't it? But think of this for a moment, brethren, how far we have fallen. The anti-love of the Word of God. I'm telling you right now, this should be really the center of all that we do, the Word of God. We think of Ezra when they had lost the Word of God. Do you remember what they did? Remember Nehemiah? Remember the book of Ezra? They lost the Word of God, and when they found it, they read the Word of God from morning until midday. And then after that, Ezra expounded on the Scriptures. He explained the Scriptures. He made it clear to them. The word of God. And you know what that did? When they found the scriptures, they realized how far they had fallen. How far they had slipped off and slipped away from the things of God. Think of it, brethren. This is what keeps us where we need to be. This is what keeps us, if you will, in the will of God. Because we know God's will because we read it. We understand it. We see it. Think of that, brethren. And people nowadays leave your fellowship because you preach too long. It is, I think, if I remember right, brethren, the Lord's day. Yeah, it is. Now, there are times when you get interrupted and you may have to leave. Feel free to get up and leave. Anytime. Amen? If you have appointments that you have to be at. But that should not be our general thought for, for the Lord's day, ever. We should come together. We should have eaten. We should be ready to hear the words, the words of God. Amen. Pray that the Spirit of God will allow us to do that. And if the pastor goes, or the preacher goes, an extra 12 minutes, it's going to be okay. But brethren, we must recoup the love of God's Word. And the love of hearing it. Amen. Instead of story time. We need to hear God's Word because you know why? Again, I heard someone, I was listening to a a sermon the other day, and somebody said to him, well, if, if God's sovereign over salvation, why should we even preach the gospel? If, if men can't understand it, why should we even preach the gospel if they can't understand it? You don't even know. Because Romans 1 answers it, doesn't it? Right? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of who? God. It is the power of God to move on a man, not men telling their stories and talking about how cool they are and zipping in on zip lines and all this trash. It is the word of God, brethren. He, he didn't even know his own answer to the question because salvation, God is sovereign in it because it is the power of God unto salvation to convert a man, a woman, or a child. It absolutely is. And it is the word of God that penetrates, as we're going to see here, in those secret places that only it can go. That's it. You and I, I don't know your heart this morning. <laughs> I can look at your fruit. In fact, the Bible never tells me to know your heart because I can't know your heart and you can't know mine. But the Spirit of God knows it. The Word of God knows it. The Lord Jesus Christ knows it. And that's what Paul leaned on over and over and over and over again. Instead of putting on a dog and pony show trying to get the lost people here, we should be edifying the saints. That's what the gathering is for. To edify you if you're saved. To edify the saints. So that when you go out, you'll speak to the lost. You'll do what Paul did. Amen? We will be faithful in what he's done. We will act like he did. Amen? Just as the book of Acts prescribes us to act. Now it's interesting here again, brethren. Paul was indeed an anti-short sermon preacher. He spends the whole day, morning and evening. The Bible says expounding expounding on the word of God. That's an important word. That's what we, again, try to do here. What does it mean? It means to explain. It means to lay open the meaning, to clear the obscurity concerning the kingdom of God from both the Old Testament, from both the prophets and Moses. This is what Paul was doing. He was referring back to that inspired, powerful word, the Old Testament, who many want to unhitch from. No, it is a powerful word of God. This is what he's using. It's a stunning thing. In fact, if you look there, he's explaining concerning the kingdom of God and those things concerning Christ. Why would he, why would he, why would he connect the Lord Jesus Christ with the kingdom of God? Now look, at he doesn't do it once. He does it twice. Look at verse 31. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Why would he be preaching the kingdom and then these things are pertaining to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. He's explaining. 
Paul is preaching to Jews. We remember this. His main audience is Jew. And he's explaining to this rather large gathering of Jews. Brethren, that Jesus is the king of the kingdom that you are looking for. He's the one you're looking for. He's the king of the kingdom that you're looking for. Now, brethren, listen. You realize they are still looking for him. Do you realize this? If you hop on an airplane and head over to Israel, and I've told this, how should we say this, this narrative before. But if you get on an airplane that's headed to Israel, you know who's on there? There are a lot of pious Jews, a lot of practicing Jews on the airplane. And you know what they're doing? Through the whole flight, they've got the law of God over their arm, over their arm. And they're standing up and they're quoting verses like we're going to hear today. They're looking for their Savior. And Paul is saying, the king that you're looking for is in the kingdom. It's amazing, isn't it? When you consider this. Look at Mark chapter 1. Look at our king. Look what our king did. Look what he did. Brethren, this is just stunning to me. Again, they're looking for their king. Their king is standing right before them. And I want you to see what he says. Look at Mark chapter 1. Look at verse number 9. Mark chapter 1, look at verse number 9. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway, coming up out of the water, by the way, the Trinity of God here is testifying, just so you know in this text. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They're all testifying to who he is. Look what it says. And straightway, coming up out of the water, we saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Again, the Father speaks. Look at verse 12. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the, angel, and the angels ministered unto him. Now listen, verse 14. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the what? The gospel. What was the gospel he was preaching? Of the kingdom of God. And saying, again, brethren, you must get a hold of this. We've got to get our Western thought out of this. You have to understand this from a Jewish understanding and mindset. Put your Eastern turban on. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe what? The gospel. Here you have their king standing before them saying, the king is in your midst. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I am the king of the kingdom you're looking for. And again, brethren, only by the Spirit of God, and we're going to see this, some believed and some did not believe when Paul preached this to them. It's an amazing, powerful thing that the Spirit of God does. And again, the King Jesus is right here and he says, I'm the King. The King you're looking for is standing right here preaching to you, the King of the kingdom. And again, brethren, this is what Paul is addressing in our text. It is a stunning thing. And again, in his letter to the church at Rome, because again, we're going to see this because Paul himself, again, relies not on his own understanding, not on all kinds of tricks, not on all kinds of different illustrations, not on all kinds of different things. He went right to that which never changes, that which has the power to penetrate the hearts, minds, and ears of those who he's preaching to, the very word of God. Look what he said in Romans chapter 1 again. We're going to refer back to his letter that he had written to them four years earlier. And we'll see it again. He does the same thing over and over again. This is, again, a glorious pattern for us to, to, as Christians to understand and to get a hold of. Look at Romans chapter 1. Look at verse number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated on the gospel of God. Verse 2. Pay very careful attention which he had promised before by his what? Prophets in the Holy Scriptures. There it is again. He's addressing the church. Brethren, when you're preaching the kingdom of God, when you're preaching the gospel of Christ, when you're doing these things, we must refer back to that which never changes because my emotions change, my feelings change. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm finite. I'm human. The Word never changes. i got to go to the Word and say, what does it say? 
fact, again, I was listening to another pastor uh, a couple weeks ago, and he said, don't be afraid, brethren, to say that the word says it. Don't be afraid to say that God said it. Don't be afraid to say the Bible said it, because that is our foundation. This nonsense of figuring out a way to trick people. Again, I don't want to get sidetracked, because I can do that pretty easily. We shouldn't say that God said it. We should say Mark said it. Yeah, that way people will understand it more. No, they won't. Because the gospel is the power of who? God. To save. We should say James said it. That way they won't be so offended. If you say God said it, they get offended. No, brethren. And by the way, you do realize what that does. That takes away from the inspiration of Holy Writ. No, God said it through Mark. God said it through James. God said it through Paul. God said it. God said it. Do not be afraid to say that. That is indeed our foundation. We turn here. In fact, Paul, again, as he goes on, he says here, uh, verse 2, which he promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by what? By the resurrection of the dead. Again, you remember, this was a contentious thing when Paul, earlier in a meeting he had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, remember he said, oh, and he recognized and realized they're there. These were two sects who did not believe the same thing. Remember what he said? Oh, I'm being put on trial for what? Believing that God raises the dead. And that turned them on each other very quickly. Amen. The foundation is the word that declares the resurrection of Christ. That is our foundation. This is where we must indeed stay. Now, Paul spent the entire day. The, we're not going to be here that long. We have visitors this morning. They're going, oh, man. Uh, did you guys set aside the Lord's Day for the Lord? I'm sure you did. But, brethren, listen to me. Paul spent all day preaching to them and explaining how the Holy Scriptures indeed pointed to the king of the kingdom that they're looking for. This was the Spirit's purpose, having Paul preach the kingdom of God. There is no question about that. Now, we're going to see here again the power of God's word, how the power of God's word makes its own division. I like what Spurgeon said. He said, The child of God must faithfully preach the gospel of Christ to every creature, for the gospel itself will make its own divisions. Do you understand the power in that? Do you understand what that means? It means that someone could be sitting here this morning, we could be preaching the gospel, or tomorrow morning when you go to work, somebody could be sitting at their desk or wherever they're at, you could be preaching the gospel to somebody else, and the gospel comes alive to this person over here, because it makes its own division. It's the power of God on the salvation. Brethren, again, why should we preach to every creature? Because it's the power of God, not men. But look here again at our text. Look at Acts chapter 28. Look at verses 24, 25, 26, and 27. We'll, uh, we'll group, group these together. Verse 24, after preaching from morning till evening out of the prophets and the law of Moses, their own scriptures... The Bible says, and some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed what? Not. Listen carefully. Look where Paul goes again. Look where he goes. Not to his own thoughts, not to his own emotions. He simply quotes Scripture. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that. Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers saying, go unto this people, and say, hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. Verse 27, for the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. Listen, their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. What a powerful portion of scripture for him to preach and to say unto these men. As I said, Paul is simply doing here what Charles Spurgeon recommend we do, and what I think we always should do. You remain faithful to the word of God. What saith it? What does God say? 
and you faithfully stand there like we do when we go out on the street corners, when we're in the, down in the park, and we have all of these screaming baby killers screaming in our faces, you simply stand there and read the word of God to them. You think, what, you're going to trick them? I promise you, brethren, when you have someone like we have, like we've been part of, screaming in your face, right here, and you simply calmly read the word of God. You heard now, brethren, listen, you heard last week that a young man was indeed just arrested in the United States of America because he was standing outside reading the word of God, and they arrested him. It's coming. It's coming. They will try anything and everything to squash the word of God. That's what scares them the most. Isn't it funny? God doesn't exist, and all they do is spend their time trying to debate us whether God exists. <laughs> it's amazing. If God doesn't exist, go about your business. But no, they, they spend a lot of waste, a lot of time and energy fighting the Christians against something they perceive that does not, they believe, exist. It's a stunning thing to behold. But yet we see the power here. We see the power in the word of God. Now, brethren, it says that some believed. Those who believed, there is no question that the spirit of God opened their eyes to see. Those who believed, there is no question that he opened their ears to hear, and he opened their hearts to understand. Now, it's interesting that Paul quotes a portion of scripture that we find two other places in scripture. And I want you to see this. This really does. We're going to just dive down just a little bit deeper into this text, okay? Into this portion of Scripture. Turn with me to John, if you would. John chapter 12. I want you to see one of the other places in Scripture where it is quoted verbatim. Look here, John chapter 12. And I want you to pay... I feel like one of those... They must have turned the air down. I feel like one of those TV preachers here. I've got to get a towel. One of you brothers bring me a towel. I'm just kidding. John chapter 12. And I want you to pay very careful attention to the word him and who him is referring to in the text. This is very important. This is vital to you understanding Isaiah 6, where we're going to go next. But again, here, this is quoted. Look there, if you would, at verse 37. Look what the Bible says there. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not in on who? Him. Who's the him? Christ, you can say it, it's okay. They believed not on him. They did not believe on Christ. Follow on with the text. That the saying of who? Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's Isaiah 53.1. Look at verse 39. Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted. And I should heal them. That's Isaiah 6, where we're going to go next. But listen to this. Look at verse 41. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spake of who? Him. Who's the him in the text? Christ. When did Isaiah see Christ? When did he see him? He's sitting right here. He says, when I spoke of his glory, that's when I saw him, Christ. Well, I'm glad you asked. Again, you guys are just so full of questions this morning. It's beautiful. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. You're familiar with what a theophany is. A theophany, a Christophany. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. You want to see where Isaiah saw him? Isaiah chapter 6, right here. Again, is quoted, Isaiah chapter 6. Look here if you would. And if you understand the text, I don't have time to break it all down. But verse number 1. Look at verse number one. Look what the Bible says. In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So the first four verses of Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees who? Who's he seeing? God. He's seeing Christ incarnate. That's who he wrote about in John chapter 12. It is Christ incarnate who's sitting on his throne. That's when Isaiah saw him. Right here in this text. He sees him. And look what happens. Look at just the, the if you will, the, the progression of what happens. He sees God. Now, brethren, when God, when Jesus Christ, who is the perfect Son of God, the perfect Savior, sinless Son of God, when the Spirit of God reveals him to you, this is what happens next. When you see God for who he is, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second stage of that is this, exactly what happened to Isaiah. Look there, if you would, at verse number 
Uh, verse 3, he, he sees that God is holy. He says, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. But look down at verse number 4. He sees a holy, holy God. He sees Christ there in a theophany. And he says this, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So in other words, what happened is he sees the king, he sees the Lord, and then he recognizes his own sinfulness. He sees when you stand, brethren, when you stand next to me, you're going to look pretty good. You're going to look pretty good. But don't look at me, look at Christ. Just like Isaiah looked at Christ and saw him and said, Whoa, man, I am undone. I am unclean. I am unholy in a holy God's presence and sight. And then look what happens. He sees God. He recognizes his own sinfulness for what it is. And then the Lord gloriously does this. Look, what, look if you will, there. Just continue on. Look at verse number 7. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. He saw God. He recognized his own sinfulness. And then God, through his glorious, gracious kindness, forgives him of his sin. And then he says this. We've got to continue on just a little farther. We see the gospel right here, right in the book of Isaiah. And then I want you to see then what Isaiah says. Look at verse 9. Look what it says. He quotes verbatim exactly the text that we're in in the book of Acts. And he said, go and tell this people. Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their eyes heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and, and convert, and be healed. So here we have, again, the Apostle Paul quoting to the Jews this glorious text in Isaiah. Again, what do we see here? We see the sovereignty of God working out his glorious gospel in here. He opens the eyes of some, and some of the other eyes, they are not opened. And God is glorious in doing that if he chooses to do that. He's glorified either way. And this is what Paul is saying. Some believed, some did not believe. Hey, Isaiah, look what it says. Now, brethren, again, the Holy Ghost miraculously applies to, uh, the gospel to this, those secret places where men could not go. Did you see the description? The Holy Ghost applied the word to Isaiah in the secret place where men cannot go. Down in his heart, in his ears, that his understanding might come to life. This is the idea. This is what Paul is saying. I'm faithfully preaching the gospel, and the gospel will indeed make its own division in and of its powerful self. This again, brethren, is why, again, people get scared. You use the word elect. Well, elect's all over in Scripture, but that's why Spurgeon said, I wish I knew who the elect were. I could lift up their tail feathers and see if there's an E painted on the back of them, and then I would preach to them. But since I don't know who they are, we must preach to every creature because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not our tricks. Not our cool stories, none of our illustrations, only the power of the Word of God. This is what we see here in our text. It's a glorious thing, brethren. Now, look back there at 28, 29, and 30, and 31. We'll just kind of combine it together here and finish this together. Look back there at Acts chapter 28. Look what it says there in verse... 28. The Bible says in Luke, recorded by the inspiration of God, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. Again, that is something you can't read over lightly. This is a promise that God made to him. This is a promise that Christ said, You will be a preacher to the Gentiles. And they will hear the gospel. This is what Paul is involved in. He is moving along as he's gotten to Rome here very shortly, uh, just a few years away to lose his life for the gospel that he's preaching here today. The Bible says in verse 29, And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years 
in his own hired house and received all that came unto him. Here we go again. What is he preaching? The kingdom of God. And those things concerning Christ. Again, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. What a glorious way to end this glorious book. And again, brother, preach that, well, that abrupted, that, that stopped abruptly. No, actually, it hasn't stopped abruptly. It hasn't stopped at all. It's still going. As I said, the residue of what we've been through is still going. The gospel is still being preached. God is still saving men and women and children. And brethren, it'll be like that until, until the very last elect of God is saved. And then, gloriously, as we've been going through the book of Revelation, this king that's being preached of here in this kingdom will indeed, I believe, come and set up another kingdom, and he will be the king of that kingdom. For a thousand years. Oh, what a glorious thing. What a stunning, amazing thing to consider as we look here at our text as we bring this to a close. I want us to notice, brethren, as we bring this to a close, as I've lost, I think, I don't know, honey, did you feed me too many cheeseburgers last week? Or All right. Though Paul was a prisoner, Paul's a prisoner here. You understand that. And uh, yet, what does the Bible say? His audience came to him. <laughs> That's right. Paul could not travel as a prisoner, but you know what the scripture says? Right, Pastor? They, come, they came to him, to his own house that God had providentially put forth there. Amen? Kind of reminds you of some preachers of the past. They'd put him in jail. John Bunyan. They'd, yeah. <laughs> Stop preaching or we're going to put you in jail. Go ahead and put me in jail. And then the second term, I've said the second time he was put in jail, he preached to more people from jail than he did anywhere else. It's amazing. They would come to him and stand outside of his window, and old John Bunyan would just sit there and preach the word of God to them hundreds every day. This is what happened to Paul for two years. God provided him an audience. These men would come. He had to go nowhere. And there he was, preaching the kingdom of God for two whole years, unhindered for sure. Now, brethren, we talk about the residue, and I've said that. That'll be a word you got, oh, there's Pastor Mike with his residue thing again. But I want you to understand what happened here for the next two years. Not only did the audience come, but while Paul was there for two years, brethren, we ended up with some glorious other books in the Bible. While he's there, just like Bunyan said, I'm not comparing him to Bunyan, but when he was arrested the second time, he said, oh, well, my writing must not be done. The Lord must not think my writing's done. And you know he wrote, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, but there was 63 other things that he wrote, Bunyan did, when he was in jail. So Paul's writing was not finished. God puts him here, keeps him under the prisoner, a prisoner of Rome, and he writes unto us a book, brethren, that we will be studying, Lord willing, as soon as we're done with Revelation on Wednesday evening. It's a stunning thing. The book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, and Colossians. Think of that. God did not waste Paul's two years while he's there in prison. He wrote these other glorious, inspired books while he's in prison, while he's preaching to those who are coming to him. What an amazing thing. Hey, pastors, wouldn't it be nice if people would just come flowing in? They don't. Not here. We don't have any shows for you. We don't. But we do have what Paul had for you. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the king. He's the king of his kingdom. And he indeed will be. The residue of these acts, the acts that we have read and heard and seen and studied continue this very hour. And we as the church, those of us who are saved this morning in and amongst the people of God, we must act the very same way by God's grace and his exerted power. Many of us, brethren, this morning, and I was thinking of just my own self, no one else. Many of us have moms and dads who are lost. Many of us have family and friends who are lost. Many of us have children who may 
be lost. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters who are lost. Let me just say this. I want to close with one more portion that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10. Look there just quickly and we'll finish this up. It's a verse that we can all vote or, uh, quote verbatim. But I want to read it in our hearing. Brethren, if this isn't your desire, then something's missing. You have to ask yourself, is the Spirit of God really working in me when you know that every day 200,000 people pass into hell itself every day? Every day. Stunning. Stunning numbers. Splitting it wide open. Now look at Paul, the heart of the pastor. The man who was at Rome, preaching in Rome, who was imprisoned in Rome, and four years before he wrote this, before he even got to Rome. Look what he says in verse number one. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that Israel will be saved. And brethren, all of what we've seen, all of what we've understood, all that the Spirit of God has spoken to us in the book of Acts, it boils down to eternity. It boils down to where a man, a woman, or a child will spend eternity. You do realize that a day is coming when all you have will be worth nothing to you. All those things you think are important today, when you're laying on your deathbed, they will have no meaning to you. The only thing that's going to matter is whether or not the Lord God, in His graciousness, His kindness, and His long-suffering, amen, has drawn you. Whether or not the Spirit of God has regenerated you, and what I mean by that is a true and real regeneration. Right, Howard? Not playing church. Saying that you can come to the altar of God. You can say some kind of a, what I call voodoo prayer. Now, God can save through that if he chooses to, but many times people come and have no idea what they're even doing. None. None. You can't play church, brethren, because we are the church. You understand that. Eventually what happens, if the profession is false, it will indeed be revealed. Because, brethren, listen, as our conference is upcoming, Doctrines of Grace Conference, you cannot, you cannot, brethren, persevere without God first preserving you. So you can persevere. Oh, yeah. That's his work. We are saints, if you're a true child of God, who perseveres because God first preserved us. All of it goes to him. All of it is his glory. Oh, brothers, I, I, I'm going to say this. <laughs> I wish you all will come to our conference, please. I had people emailing me already. One of my buddies, who I haven't talked to in several years, Text me, hey, I heard you guys are having a conference. Who's coming? Send him all the information. They're coming. It's going to be, so the word's getting out there. But brethren, come. You'll learn and just be blessed beyond measure. As you watch God, as he worked, as he did here, as he acted in the book of Acts. By insert, exerting, by exerting his divine power. Listen, brethren, let me finish that definition, because I didn't, as I close. As the stomach acid does to food. Literally what that means. It's amazing. Stunning. All right. Well, let's pray as we prepare to gather around the Lord's table. Father, we come before you this morning, again, just enamored with your word, hearing it, reading it. I mean, we remember the book of Revelation. There's seven Beatitudes in there. And the very first one that John, as he's led by the Spirit of God to write, he says, blessed are those who read, who hear, and who understand the words of this prophecy. And Father, we certainly are needy men and women and children. 
Our very breath is dependent upon you, your sovereign hand working. Father, we're going to leave here in just a moment, go to our homes, all from your hand, all of it. The food we're going to eat, the beds we're going to sleep in, every last scintilla. Father, we thank you for that, for sure. Father, we thank you as these things will indeed fade away. We thank you for that which is much more secure and that which is the safety of the saints. And that is being found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being imputed with his righteousness. For he took our place. He was indeed our substitute. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Father, we thank you most for that. For these years are ebbing away as one poet once said. As a broken down dam. They are just rolling along. And Father, we must and may the Spirit of God instill upon us those things that are eternal. Turn our hearts and minds to those things. As we're here being faithful ministers and faithful people of God, standing firmly with our feet shod with the readiness of the gospel, because it is indeed the way that you save It is indeed the power, the dunimas of God, the dynamite of God. To blast open those eyes that they might see. To unplug those ears that they might hear. And to take that heart of stone out and put in a heart of flesh that they might understand the word of God and follow the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you now as we gather around the Lord's table. Again, as we remember your death, your burial, your resurrection. And then following, as we see, as we spoke of residue today, to a man and a woman who will be being baptized. One of the other ordinances of the church that continue on in the residue from the book of Acts. Father, we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.